The Engineering Commons podcast explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of their field or industry. Join mechanical engineer Jeff, civil engineer Adam, and electrical engineers Brian and Carmen as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is the episode for the 6th of March, 2014, in which we talk about the art of engineering. So, Adam, do you have an artistic streak? Well, off and on, I, I try to in the traditional sense. Usually that uh, fails pretty miserably. Okay. Uh, from a, maybe a little less traditional artistic streak, uh, things like I think brewing beer is artistic, and uh, I like to try to do that, and I think I do pretty well. I'll agree with you. It's very artistic. I was thinking you were going to agree that I do it well. Uh, you got to send me some beer before I can officially say that. <laughs> I don't endorse a product that I haven't used. <laughs> yeah, and and so you're not so good at the more traditional things, the the you know the drawing or the singing that kind of thing. Yeah, it never comes out the way I, I envision it in my head. <laughs> Which the drawing or the singing? Uh, any of them. Either. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they, all, they all sound good in my head or look good in my head, and then never do out of my head. Right. Yeah. Right. I just need the the medium that that I can that I'm better at, like beer right. or highways. Well, now I've always thought that uh, part of engineering, the reason that that uh, we engineers like it, is because it fits some desire, some basic instinct we have to interact with our the physical world around us, to make things, to develop things, to see things change. So, is there a creative streak to uh, to making roads? Um, I think so. Lots of times you need to get creative in, in solving problems. And if it were easy, we could have computers do it, but. Uh. <laughs> well, be careful. We may have that someday. <laughs> I, I'm hoping not in the, in the near future, at least. Uh, right. Uh, but, but there is a, a degree of, of creativity in, in making decisions, how to make things fit together well, look good, um, flow into each other and. Um, so I'd say that's creative, and you could even say artistic. Well, I think that engineering does have this uh, creative tendency, and uh, so our our discussion this evening is going to be about how art integrates with engineering. What's the role of art uh, with respect to engineering, and uh, how we might want in the future to try to incorporate some artistic aspects into the engineering curriculum. But before we get to our guests this evening, let me first mentioned that we've closed our listener survey, and uh, I want to thank everyone who participated. And in the not-too-distant not future, we'll, uh, we'll publish the results. But uh, thank you to uh, everyone who uh, contributed their, uh, their thoughts and their advice. We appreciate that. So, Especially everyone who gave us good advice and good, good comments. We, we yes, bad comments you. we don't want. <laughs> <laughs> so our guest uh, this week is Mike Parks. Uh, who is a systems engineer, a Navy veteran, and a licensed professional engineer with over 16 years of experience in solving a wide range of technical and engineering challenges. And although he has a day job with the U.S. Navy, uh, he also runs Green Shoe Garage, an electronics design business and technology consultancy. And in what free time he has left, he produces the Steam Power podcast, which covers the latest and quirkiest news in science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. Mike, welcome to the Engineering Commons podcast. Thank you guys very much for having me. I appreciate it. Happy to have you on. Yeah, we're so pleased you could join us this evening. Seems like a good crowd. <laughs> we try. We try. 
Uh, oftentimes, Mike, we, we lead off by asking our guests what got them interested in engineering. Sure. Um, so for me, I was pretty heavily involved in Boy Scouts growing up. And uh, we had a uh, fairly uh, nerdy bunch of dads, which was uh, different than some other troops. Um, <laughs> and uh, we had, so we had the opportunity to do things like radio merit badge, electronics merit badge, computer merit badge. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to take all those and, and have a good um, a bunch of, of mentors that really sparked the interest in, in figuring out, you know, you know, you can take things apart and you, you can figure out how things work. And, um, you know, there's, there's basic principles behind that. So that was my real first introduction into technology is not just some magic box. It's something that we as humans create and, uh, something that we can learn and create and then take it on and learn and create ourselves. Neat. And so did that lead to, uh, you know, the sort of that inspiration? Did that manifest itself in an interest in engineering in, in high school? Or did is that something that waited and, you know, you didn't really figure out you wanted to do engineering until you got to college? Sure. Uh, so for me, I, I kind of, I was, I guess, pretty lucky that I, I did. I kind of figured out that engineering, uh, wasn't sure what field of, of engineering. And I guess I really still haven't landed on one yet. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I know that I, I like the design aspects, the creative aspects of engineering. So I started, I got, um, in high school, I had the opportunity, uh, growing up in, in the Maryland, DC, Virginia area to, uh, do an internship over my junior and senior years at the, uh, U.S. Naval Academy in their, uh, systems engineering department. And so, you know, High school, you know, with some schools, I got to sit there and, and solder circuit boards for the, the professors for their classes and, uh, got to learn HTML and some programming. So that was really, you know, seeing it in real world applications really solidified. Um, and I knew at that point that I was going to pursue a, um, an engineering degree once I, uh, headed off to college myself. And when you say applications, what kind of things were you uh, being exposed to there? Sure. So we, um, some jobs were just more or less the, uh, your typical intern jobs where you just sit there and take notes and, and, and pound through projects. So, um, so we, one thing we worked on while we were there was, um, at the time, all the electronics components, you know, all the, 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 um, the spec sheets, the data sheets, you actually went down to a library and you pulled out the book and you looked up the parts. So they were in the process of migrating onto a well on their uh, internet, you having a web based. So you could sit in your dorm room and look up parts and not have to go truck to the library. So I was basically sitting there, we would scan the PDF, create the web page. And we also added some features to be able to like order parts. So that was my first real, you know, semi autonomous job. And then I also got to sit there and watch, uh, and get involved with a little bit, you know, some, re- there was some early research into autonomous vehicles and, and electromagnetics, which obviously didn't really influence anything, but I got to sit there and watch and it just, that was, it was awesome to watch, um, you know, the process of people, how they think about problem solving from a technical sense. And that's like, so that's really what then, um, you know, those kind of projects said, I, I really wanted to pursue an engineering, uh, profession. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, you got your degree in computer engineering. That's correct. I, uh, eventually settled on, uh, I uh, went to the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and um, uh, though I, w- I was more interested in like electronics and um, control systems, 
at the undergraduate level, they only offered the computer engineering degree. And, uh, so I, I went that route and, um, learned a lot, a lot of interesting things. Um, at the time, UMBC only focused on, uh, VLSI designed, very large scale integrated, basically the design of microchips. Mm-hmm. And so that was really the focus of how they built their curriculum around that, that concept. Um, and though I liked it, I kind of knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do because it was so, it was more building parts versus I wanted to put parts together to make cool things. But, um, you know, still the learning experience was, was absolutely fantastic. Neat. And one day I'm going to use that for something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once the, once the chip printing comes to the home, if the empower has any say on it. Yeah, that, there's a lot of neat things coming with the you know, the whole maker and DIY movement that uh, is pretty cool. And that's kind of and we'll, I guess we'll get to it a little bit later with that. You know how that transitions to my my side job. Um, you know, trying to get back to that slowly but surely. So when you're uh, when you're not at your side job, can you tell us a little bit about what you do for the Navy? Sure. So uh, during college, I uh, enlisted into a program called the Civil Engineer Corps Collegiate Program. So. Which is interesting because you know, pursuing a degree in computer engineering, but um, hey, you're all over the map here. <laughs> I am all over the map. <laughs> so at the time, though, there was this big push within the Navy to introduce SCADA supervisory control and data acquisition systems to buildings and direct digital control. You know, trying to you know early on with the energy efficiencies and, and then also building safety, building building automation. So at the time. The, the idea was, yeah, we're civil engineer corps in kind of name only. Um, we, we, they took a lot of different engineering backgrounds, mechanical, electrical. Um, and I think, you know, my background in the electronics and controls was in, as an undergrad, my senior capstone project was a, um, a pretty rudimentary automation building automation system and monitoring system. So having that, you know, background and and i think that needed at the time the stars lined up and i got accepted for the uh that program and uh spent some spent about uh, just under 10 years uh, i got to head to cool places got to go to japan and korea um i got stationed in key west for a couple years which was rough <laughs> sounds imagine it, it was hard well um that was actually some of my best engineering experience, actually, because we were down there 2004 to 2006 when Hurricane Katrina and Wilma went through across the Keys, and um, we we uh, like at one point we lost we lost our entire house after Wilma. Uh, Grant, we were in military housing, but the the rapid damage control, the assessments, and and how you come back from um, uh, a disaster recovery. From you know the building and life safety kind of stuff was trial by fire. It was you know because it was a brand new ensign, newly commissioned officer, and um, as a we were we were attached to what's called the public works department. So every station has you know it's like a little city, and um, as a public works officer, uh, I had the uh, we had. Um, Shop forces. So we had you know, all the trades: your carpenters, your plumbers, your electricians, and we were responsible uh, for doing the initialists, going through all the buildings, and doing the damage assessment, and making the um, you know determining what was safe to turn back on, and 
and then start the uh, the recovery effort. So that was a pretty uh, you know looking. It wasn't fun when you realize your you know your lifelong belongings are gone. It's sitting out in the middle of the uh, the, the Gulf of Mexico. Right. Um, but the experience professionally, looking back, was invaluable. And then um, so anyway, so fast forward to today. I eventually got stationed at Patuxent River, Maryland, which is uh, about 60 miles south of Washington, D.C. And uh, at Pax River, we have what's home to the Naval Air Systems Command, which is the uh, Department of the Navy, uh, so Navy and Marine Corps, Naval Aviation Aircraft Research and Development Test and Evaluation Command. And uh, I came here as a, they call the Staff Civil Engineer um, so basically responsible for um, programming, planning, military construction projects, and then the care and feeding of what we already have. And um, at that time, I made the decision to get out. There was some opportunities here on the civilian side. And uh, so for the past about four years now, I've been a civil servant at, at NAVAIR. And um, in my current job, we're uh, basically... Um, you know, we have a lot of new aircraft coming into the fleet, and uh, a lot of that has impacts to our facilities and infrastructure all across the world. And it's my job to translate, you know, these new aircrafts, you know, maintain maintenance requirements and sustainment requirements, and then translate that to facilities so that, you know, we make sure that we have the right amount of power, the right type of power. Um, so that these things can go off and, and do training and operations. So uh, that's where I'm at today on the on the day job, so to speak. That, that's a long way from VLSI. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> it's not just systems engineering like ease, no, where you hook a bunch of ICs together. You're seeing the entire system. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 big S, I guess, systems. Um, but you know, at the end of the day. You know, there. While it's fun and exciting, there there is that. You know, we we're talking a little bit earlier about you know that that artistic that design. So that's kind of what led me into you know doing the side job because I still miss doing you know hooking up the soldering iron and and going in there and building you know something I can actually see within a day or two of project turning out versus something that you wait five, seven, ten years to see come to fruition. <laughs> Not quite as satisfying. Can we count soldering as sculpture? So it's an art. <laughs> yeah. <sure>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then I qualify for an artistic side. So, absolutely, I think I think some people can do some amazingly beautiful. <laughs> I'm still trying to get like the surface man. I can't quite get that down right. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a through hole kind of guy. Take, takes a lot of <laughs> practice and just the right amount of caffeine. <laughs> That's <laughs> too, right. too much on either side of that point, and you can't you can't solder worth a damn. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> big parts. Yeah. So I, I had a quick question for you here. You're talking about doing the, uh, you know, damage assessment after the Katrina and Wilma. How, how do you even prepare for that to go into a building? I mean, it sounds like you could use anything from a multimeter to a scuba suit to a, you know, backhoe. <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> what did you guys typically have available to you? So, uh, luckily for, so the initial, um, all our assessments, uh, we were trying to get done in about, uh, 48 hours so that we could determine what level of response we would need. Obviously we would need support coming in outside of, of the local area. So in a rapid damage assessment, 
we got flown in four or five types uh, um, engineers of different backgrounds. So we'd had like the, the number one mechanical engineer in our region, the number one electrical engineer. Um, so we you, you get these teams, a small team of about four or five guys and gals. And um, actually our first assessment, we actually hop in a, um, a helicopter, a Navy helicopter, and we literally just fly around and survey the area. Because the idea being... You know, anything with roof damage, you know, you want to kind of you know, stop the bleeding, so to speak. Um, so we'd fly around and do an aerial assessment first. Ro- road washouts, bridge washouts, and um, the, the, the shell of the buildings. And then once we kind of you, you, you make a note of, you know, what buildings you kind of prioritize based on, A, these buildings are, are mission essential and they have significant damage, and then you've got the ones that have significant damage but aren't mission essential. But really, you're not um, when you go into these buildings, you're not doing. It's more of a visual. It's almost like a, a gut feel, and it's why you need to have that expertise. It's you look at it, and you know that you know that generator is probably shot. You know that piece of HVAC equipment is pretty shot, and you're just doing that quick gut feel, not really doing much measurements, and just to get a. a uh, top level, um, basically, you're, tr- you're trying to figure out what type of uh, expertise are we going to have to. Obviously, we, we bring in contractors that have significant workforces, and then we're more kind of then the customer, the voice of the customer, and we help do the, the, the more on the project management side at that point. Once we get the, we do the government estimates, we go into RS means and um, you know, put together what we think these repairs are going to cost. But we're there just, you know, like I said, the, 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 the initial is really just a visual and, and a gut. And you're right, you preparing for it. Um, the problem really was for us was that we had six or seven hurricanes that came close before. And so every time you go through the whole drill, you kind of get a little bit lazier and a little bit lazier. You know, it's not going to hit. Um, <laughs> and then the one hits and you're like, God darn it. Uh, that was simply personally me. It was more of a personal issue because I used to put like the bed up on cylinder blocks and you yeah. Know, the one time you don't. The one time you don't is what you get you. But um, yeah. All right. So it sounds like it was more like the initial triage than actually treating the you know. Exactly. Thing. It's more you got triage is a good way to put it. Gotcha. So if a hospital versus a you know school or something got hit, you'd focus on the hospital instead of. Making sure the gymnasium Correct. had lights. Gotcha. Absolutely. I think I could turn just that whole experience into an episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to invite Mike back to uh, concentrate on that one. Damn, why do we get such interesting guests? They all have to come back. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Try not to bore. <laughs> My wife warned me not to be boring. I said, how can we be boring? It's a bunch of engineers. This <laughs> <laughs> is a party right now. That's right. <laughs> You know, it might be boring to the outside world, but you got to keep in mind the audience too. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I think it's awesome. I think it's it's you know, there there's professionally, you know, there I I do miss some of the design, you know, why, you know, when you originally why did you become an engineer, the design, the uh the building, the constructing, you know, there's days that you miss that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um but then, you know, flip side on the public works, the infrastructure, um, the project design, the project management aspects of it, um, it can be rewarding as well. 
Yeah, and there's pros and cons to it, too. I mean, yeah, I could design the next iPhone or widget, but if it's consumer electronics, it'll be replaced in two or three years and no one will care. But if you're doing something like public works, you know, that building's going to be standing for a while. We hope. Yes. (laughs) Until the next hurricane comes. That's right. So when you're not on the job and uh, doing triage, you do have this this side business, uh, Green Shoe Garage. How did you come up with that name? That is kind of an unusual name for a uh, a tech consultancy. Absolutely. Well, first, I refuse to ever be uh, corporate, so just not in my nature. So for me, it was a um, combination of two things. Um, you know, a garage to me is the, the, the typical Americana inventor. You know, it's, it's where Apple started. It's where Google starts. It's where all these, you know, the, the, you know, everything starts in the garage in, in some American house. Um, so I wanted to capture that kind of innovative spirit, not tied to the corporate. And then growing up, I always, always wanted a pair of Chuck Taylors. And I love the color <laughs> green. I never got a pair of Chuck Taylors growing up. And so when I was finally old enough to get my first paycheck, I'm going and I bought myself my Chuck Taylors. And so that fascination, and I think actually when I was kicking around an idea for the name, I literally, I think I was wearing them. So I literally looked down and I saw the shoes. <laughs> I said, Hey, <laughs> green shoe garage. Uh, and that's, that's, yeah, that's about it. Oh, nifty. Nice. Nifty. Do you, do you yeah. fight the, the man by wearing a mullet and stuff now too? Absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm still, I, I still, I'm still trying to get over the uh, not having to do the high in sight anymore. So slowly, I'm weaning myself <laughs> off that. Uh, it's hard though. You just you get used to not having hardly any hair, and then when you start growing out just a little bit, you're it sets you off. <laughs> but I'm getting there. I'm slowly, uh, slowly getting there. So just the fact that it touches your ears is, uh, you know, the military uh, equivalent of a mullet. That's right, exactly. <laughs> it's all relative, right? Yes, yes. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, Green Shoe Garage is kind of like, um, it's my outlet for that creative impulse. And, you know, obviously I'm not doing anything. I will never invent the next breakthrough iPhone. I really don't do, um, you know, I'm not building products that I intend to mass sell. What I, I do is, you know, it's a consultancy, so to speak. And that's, um, you know, people will come to me, um, and I've had some, you know, for they've, they've got an idea in mind. Mm-hmm. They want to see it. And it's usually something that's quirky that doesn't have, um, you know, it's not going to have mass consumer appeal. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank God, because a lot of my stuff is still, sometimes it looks a little amateurish, but I'm getting better. <laughs> but uh, like, so one guy, he wanted, he was a big car buff. He was a friend of mine. And, um, he wanted to have in his garage, he wanted to have a stop, um, you know, a street light, you know, red, yellow, green light, mm-hmm. uh, that as he pulled into his garage, it would go green when you far enough and yellow, red and red just tell him to stop, you know, you're, you're far enough into your garage. Wow. So, cool. you know, something that's, it's pretty cool, but not, doesn't require, you know, I'm not, don't need a $2 billion chip fabrication plan or anything. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, grab, you know, consumer products that are available like an Arduino, um, pick up an ultrasonic sensor and then, um, you know, a couple high voltage, you know, sort of transistors to, to control the, the AC lights. And you, you wire that together. You write a little bit of, uh, of the firmware code mm-hmm. and, um, 
package it together for him and go over to his house and, you know, install it. And, you know, so it's, so it's, those, that's kind of those level of projects. And it's, okay. you know, it's, it's not, not trying to build the next American empire, but, uh, <laughs> give me that, give me that warm fuzzy on the inside. <laughs> right. Hmm. And, and Adam, do you have any insight, inside track on, uh, on, uh, stoplights in case, uh, Mike wants to sort of branch out and do whole bunches of these? Um, I, I know that there are a ton of certifications on those things that, um, well, yeah, but uh, <laughs> you said AC lights and I was thinking, but they're all LEDs nowadays. Why not just do DC? But <laughs> yeah, so uh, at the time, this was a few years back. So we just, he had the gut of it and we just put basically, we just put, um, incandescent bulbs. I'm sure if I would go back and redo it today, um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be do a little bit different, <laughs> but, uh, that's, that's what version 2.0 is for, right? Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. The next there time someone needs to pull into their garage. That's right. <laughs> right. I know that in addition to, uh, you doing some, some consulting and, and you do some, uh, embedded electronics, would you, is, do you consider that embedded, that project you just told us about? Um, or is that more sort of breadboard type stuff? Yeah, it's more breadboard level. I mean, you know, yes, it, microcontrollers are used in embedded, but projects, um, and I'm using kind of like, you know, an Arduino is really like a development board that, you know, when you're prototyping a project, you would use it. And if you were doing a real project, you would eventually make your own custom PCB and integrate it. But for me, um, that's, that's as far down in the design tree that I need to go down, I just leave it at, you know, do some, do some wire wrapping and, and make it look pretty on a, a piece of perf board. And then I'll just uh, hook it up to the Arduino and just package it off and, and, and install it that way. Right. And by actual, actual wire wrapping, you mean actually wire wrapping with like the wire wrapping like tool? In the it? old school. Wow. Yes. You're the first person I've met in a long time who's done that. <laughs> well, that's not, I don't have a lot of components to do it, so <laughs> it's usually just a couple resistors and a transistor or two. So. True, but even then, I, yeah. I know a lot of people who would prefer the uh, the soldering iron than the actual wire wrapping. Yeah, I mean, it's um, you know, so, I mean, you know, some projects are yeah, you just take the perf board and then you just you solder some, but um, sometimes you just like a challenge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I enjoy the I enjoy the I enjoy the pain. Right. And do you do you have a wire wrapping gun or do you do it manually? No, I just got the little six buck thing from Radio Shack and okay. it's like a screwdriver with no head. Exactly. You pop the little thing off, you get the little um you feed it through and uh you strip it down and <laughs> uh but yeah, it's it's um I mean, a lot of times it's uh, things I do on that side because I don't do it during the day. Mm -hmm. I do things just to, you know, educate myself, re you know, things I didn't learn in college, you know, professional development or just, um, you know, personal satisfaction of learning new, new skills, right. whether or not they're still uh, useful in the 21st century. <laughs> it's another thing. Yeah. Even wire wrapping, like just, just parts are hard to find anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I do most of my stuff is through hole connection. Yeah, you know, I'm not so. It's um, yeah, it's an art, not a science. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, uh, nice callback. Huh? Yeah, 
That's good. That's good. And and uh, I I noticed from uh, your your website that you've also done a few Android apps. Uh, yeah, I've I've I've, I've attempted to do so. I um I don't know if you guys, but there's so I started that there's a um, Google started a project and then they spun it off to MIT. So there's a um, a program called MIT App Inventor. Which, if you're familiar with um, the Scratch programming environment, it's kind of like the Legos of programming. Well, it's the same concept, but they they do the uh, for Arduino or excuse me for Android uh, programming. So I, when I first started, I was literally just basically pulling blocks out of this window. Um, it's all it's all in the browser. It's all online, and um, you know wrote my first application. You know, quote unquote, wrote an application. And then since then, I've gone back and I've been using um, Android's new. There, they call it was it, uh, not App Inventor, but um, I think and- Android Studio, and trying to teach myself. Um, again, it's one of those things where it's for personal, you know, personal challenge. You know, you've got some ideas for apps because it's the it's the quick and easy way. You know, I'll make I'll make a million dollars this way. <laughs> I've got a great uh, app idea. Um, right. And then reality sets in, and you're like, God darn, this is. <laughs> Why is this not what I have? Uh, is easy because in college, you know, a lot of the programming courses was in C, C plus plus, so object oriented, but um, not quite the same paradigm of, of at least for me um, when I when I open up, um, you know, the Android uh, Studio, or I even tried to do, you know, I was, uh, one time I bought the Mac to be able to do uh, iPhone apps or iOS mm-hmm. apps. And to me, it's just, it's, it's just too different of a paradigm of, of how you program and, and the way it works. So it's, it's, it's remained a pet project that I, it's on my to-do list eternally. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact that you've, uh, you've gotten any accomplished, it puts you way ahead of me. So kudos. No, yeah, it's, it's not, not much to write home about, but it's again, that, that personal warm fuzzy. <laughs> I right. feel better about myself. <laughs> right. So, uh, you're, so you're jumping from hurricanes to the military to wire wrapping and Android apps. How did, how'd you make the jump into podcasting? Oh gosh. Uh, well, my, my wife, who I love very dearly, if she's listening, uh, <laughs> would, would probably, um, uh, say I have an ego <laughs> and I like to hear myself speak. Um, and you don't have to cut that out. You're good. <laughs> um, but no, for me, so, um, you know, back, I, when I look back, uh, in high school, I was, I was actually really bad at math. I, I, for whatever reason, I remember geometry, uh, algebra was okay, but when I get like the geometry and the pre-calculus, I, in fact, I specifically remember, I think it was my junior year, I was doing so bad in pre-calculus that my math teacher, when we we're picking our senior level classes, was, you know, we're offering statistics next year. Right. Maybe you should take statistics instead of calculus. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So I was like, well, I guess that's, I guess that's a good way to put it. I, I appreciate you putting it so delicately. Um, but, so then, you know, and then I think it was more of a combination of I had bad study habits in high school that I broke, thank God, when I got to college. So for me, it was, and I see it today with, because I have a young daughter, um, and she's the same way. She gets very frustrated with, 
the math. She likes science, but frustrated with math. And um, so for me, it was this, when I started the podcast and the blog was I wanted to, you know, help basically, you know, I'm passionate that, you know, science and technology, um, the STEM movement um, is, is going to be very important for our future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how, you know, how do you, you know, but you hear everybody, you know, I, I, I start college, I, everyone, you know, everyone starts as an engineering major and then, you know, it's whatever, you know, whatever percentage at the end actually graduates with an engineering degree. And I wanted to kind of way of saying, you know, don't, don't let the, those basic subjects, don't let the math, um, it, it's important and you need to learn it, but don't let it stop you from pursuing that degree because it's the challenge is worth it. And so for me, um, and I, I, you know, I haven't quite got there yet. I'm still trying to figure out how the podcast works. I haven't been doing it as religiously as I should, but I really want to highlight through the news, all the cool and whiz bang things people are doing in all these, uh, the steam career fields. And then also, um, try to figure out a, a way to motivate and, uh, the next generation that, you know, you, yes, you can do this, um, even if, you know, math is not your forte. It seems like it always comes, math is always the one that, like, uh, you know, when you're growing up, it's, it's, it's too much math. It's too hard. And I want to really, uh, you know, explain. That's why I did the steam power. I added, you know, I, I believe in that movement with the, the art because there's a creative aspect. And I think I've been, because of that, that, that drive to do the, the creative side can overcome the challenges with the math. And I think that's where the podcast, I hope eventually, um, maybe if, 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 you know, if it motivates one or two kids to pursue, um, a STEM career field that they wouldn't have otherwise, um, I think I'd be happy. And give us the name of the podcast. You, you mentioned it in brief passing there. Sure. So it's the steam power podcast. Uh, the steam is the science, technology, engineering, art, and math, which is, uh, not my original. I did not invent that myself. That's been a, a movement <laughs> out there to introduce the A into the traditional STEM program, um, and to me that resonated. So, and plus, it just sounds better than say the STEM Power podcast, which doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> right. So, from hearing you talk, it sounds you know like the A isn't strict, like a, a liberal arts type thing. It's more of you know seeing how engineering can be creating creative in and of itself yeah yeah so i i'll admit i i know very little about van gogh or beethoven you know what we would say the traditional arts mm-hmm. or or good writing uh yeah so for me the art is more into the yeah it is i mean it's it's about painting photography but as a way to um either uh, seek inspiration or as a way to kind of get those creative juices flowing, you know, becoming a, a more well-balanced individual, I think is key to not just, you know, at, at, to everybody, not just, you know, STEM, but, um, yeah. So the art for me is, is, is finding a passion outside of, uh, something that you can, you can do a little bit more intuitively. It's a little bit more, um, you know, it's not the hard math, but it's a way to inspire and, and try to fig, you know, seek inspiration. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, I mentioned where I was the gentleman who, um, invented the, uh, the cell phone, Martin, Martin Cooper. Yeah. Um, you know, he was inspired uh, growing up 
by Star Trek, he saw the communicator that Captain Kirk would use. And, you know, to me, the television, it's, it's an art medium. And he saw that. He said, oh, man, I would like to have that in the real world. And, you know, he would go on many years later and start, you know, to inventing the cell phone, which leads us to all the Android and iPhones that we use today. So to me, that that's that's what the art is about. It's 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 looking because, you know, engineering so engineers you know i i admit i personally am not the most creative i wouldn't mm-hmm. think i am but i i need to find i i find that looking going out and looking at, at at paintings and taking pictures that process is where i you know i you're looking for that spark of inspiration i think art gives you that right so so uh whereas the traditional arts you know if, if someone's studying painting or something they may be studying the technique by which you inspire others but uh you're focusing on the way in which engineering inspires you and you maybe inspire others. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, even with, you know, art, you know, when you talk about the, you know, how the techniques and, you know, maybe it's not quite as sophisticated as looking at a, a Van Gogh or whatever, but, you know, I really, I really enjoy, um, uh, concept art. So, mm-hmm. um, things like, you know, Ralph McQuarrie, who did all the, the star Wars concept art, you kind of see, you know, you know, the first time, you know, someone explains to you here, you know, and, you know, as an engineer, you sometimes your requirements that you start with are very vague. Um, and you've got to kind of neck that down to the reality. And so, you know, for me, when you sit there and you look at the Ralph McQuarrie concept art of Star, of Star Wars, you know, you imagine, you know, okay, what did he, he sat down with probably George Lucas. He gave him some vision and, um, he, you know, here's this original concept. And then you, you compare that to, what actually ended up in the movies and you kind of, and I sit there and I look at you, know, so what were the design considerations? Why did they move from a more, you know, why was the droid round and they moved it to more of a, um, you know, of a square shape. And I'm, you know, for me, it's thinking of, well, when they, you know, in concept, it looked good, but when it came to the guy I actually had to build the, the mock-up or build the, the model, right. there was issues. And so for me, I sit there and that's when I, when I watch a movie, I have, you know, that's what I'm thinking about. Um, I'm not always enjoying just the movie. It's, it's, right. you know, that, that process. How did he think of that? How did they come up with that? Why did they make the decision the way they did? Right. And that's why do I have to watch the movie five times to understand really what happened? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that's to me, when, for me, the A and the art and the steam, that's, that's what I'm, you know, and, and I think other people, and art is one of those things, it's, 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 it speaks to each person differently. So you've got to find your own. But for me, you know, looking at concept art from movies or from, you know, even in an industry where you, you know, what was the original concept for the iPad or the iPhone or you just, you look at those and you, you just try to think, you know, why were certain decisions made? And I think that helps you become um, a better designer, a better en- engineer yourself. So do you have any thoughts about how you shared this sense of inspiration, this sense of passion with, with others? If, you know, if there are young people that might be interested in engineering, uh, obviously you're trying to share your convictions through the podcast. Do you have any, any knowledge of, of is, if, it, it's, if it's effective or if there's a, a good way to share this? Or is it just spending time with youngsters just sort of the best way to share your passions with them? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm – this is all anecdotal just on my experience. Um, you know, both I've, I've been in, um, leadership roles with the Boy Scouts and, and teaching and then also through our local makerspace. 
we have kind of a kids day events. And so for me, watching, you know, having watched a few of those, um, we've done, they've done talks on like, um, uh, energy, chemical reactions, physical reactions, um, and using, you know, pictures and, and movies and, and different mediums of, of how to explain because you try to hit all, you know, all the different ways people learn. So for me, it was for the, the inspiration. I think anecdotally, I think, yeah, I think kids do respond, um, better to, and maybe it's just, you know, cause everyone's growing up now with iPhones and iPads and computers is different multimedia experiences, which again, I would constitute, you know, the art, I think does help introduce concepts to kids. And I think they do, um, tend to take them more. I mean, I look at my daughter and I'm just, amazed at you know what she can do she's you know she does her own little youtube video edits and she's working we <laughs> set up the little green screen and you know stuff that you know i was well into my 20s before i really had skill sets um you know you're not you know i grew up you know commodore 64 can only take you so far right <laughs> um artistically ba- you know basic code is not very pretty <laughs> but you know yeah, so you know i don't i don't I'm not claim to be an expert you know, have done any studies per se, but, um, in, in my time in, in, in working with youth, um, and my daughter, um, multimedia types of art, I think, um, they do respond to, and I think does help knock down some barriers to apprehensions. Um, it's, it's just marrying that up with the, the, the right way to make the, the science and technology parts fun, um, and not seem to like a quote unquote, a chore you have to learn. Right. Now, speaking of your daughter, I have heard her voice before. Where might I have heard that? Hmm. Let me see. She very graciously and unknowingly offered her voice to uh, about maybe five, ten episodes into uh, the Steam Power podcast. I got her, uh, or I tricked her, I guess I should say, into doing <laughs> a little recording where she started off by going like, choo-choo, welcome to the Steam Power Podcast, in a very, you know, a very, only the way a, a cute little six-year-old uh, girl can do. And uh, so she, yes, so the beginning of, of every episode of the, of the Steam Power Podcast, on the audio version at least, um, you'll hear her little voice until she becomes a teenager and <laughs> forces me to take it out of there. Hello and welcome to the Steam Power Podcast. And and at what point did you decide to do video? Um, that's been actually a really recent, probably in the last three or four, three, yeah, three or four weeks. I've been exp- uh, just testing with you know the Google Hangouts. Oh, okay. So basically, what I'm just doing, I've tra- you know, a good engineer is a lazy engineer, right? Right. Um, of course. So it forces me to sit there and go, if I can record it, and then I get the YouTube link, and I can then you know, you know, rip the MP3, the audio out of it, then I'm not doing as much. Um, uh, I do, you know, it's a little less post editing, but it it forces me because I would used to when I was doing just strictly the audio and I was kind of reading the news. I would sit, I would try to go like I would go through eight takes trying to get the wording down and make it not sound so boring. When you're doing a video live, you kind of you're forced to it's one and done. <laughs> uh, so it's actually it's giving me some time back to go spend with the, with the wife and daughter who uh, 
you know, <laughs> sometimes when you're doing, you know, a day job, a side job and this stuff, um, you know, you know we've, we'd like to have a life outside of this stuff, dear. <laughs> yeah, the day gets away from you pretty quick. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So when you do the Hangouts, is it live or is it? Um, yeah, so they they do something. They've recently turned on something called YouTube Live Events. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm in the process of like with, with you guys potentially looking at you know I bring the the engineering side, but there's also then the, those five up the four other letters. So you know, eventually would like to grow this into having something where um, there would be co-hosts um, that could talk more intelligently to the you know some other um, parts of Steam. Um, you know, maybe some with a science, more of a science background, some with a math background. And so I'm trying to lay that framework now. And then if, uh, as I move forward, um, if I do you know, seriously commit to, uh, trying to make this a more, uh, professional quality, <laughs> this podcast, um, uh, I think, I, I don't know. I just see my daughter, I mean, everything, everything for her, um, uh, you know, we, 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 we canceled the, the cable television because everything is, <laughs> It's YouTube. <laughs> yeah. It's like I watch everything on YouTube. So trying to predict where that next generation is going, right? <laughs> right. Wow. So uh, you're braver than we are going live there then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not much to look at, but. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's, that's why we hide behind microphones here. That's right. And that, that magic, uh, that security blanket of post-production. Yes. Yes. I, I may revert back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jeff, you, you do put this whole thing together with auto-tune, right? Absolutely. I'm actually the one who does our intro music. You, uh, we just auto-tune the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, post-production does have a lot of uh, uh, incentive and... Especially, especially on the photoshopping with the photos, as 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 I get a little bit older and older. Yeah, maybe that wrinkle doesn't belong there. That's right. That was a lens flare. Yeah. You you mean you haven't changed in the last twenty years? Yeah, no, no, that's that's right. Uh, that's right. Uh, I'm not gonna cry. <laughs> It'll be okay. It'll be okay. So so yeah, you you, yes, you talk will. you talked about covering the news. What kind of uh, what kind of stories do you pick out to talk about on your podcast? Um, so specifically, uh, things that are a not covered on the uh, science channels of the uh, you know of the uh, the Foxes, the MSNs, the CNNs. So not the I would call it the uh, pop culture science. I try to avoid that. Um, I tried to go out and I I've got a series of. Um, RSS feeds on all kinds of websites, you know, more hardcore science, like science uh, news. And um, so I try, my goal is really to, was at least to try to do uh, one science related, one technology related. You know, the technology field is so, the problem is it's so well covered that, you know, I don't offer anything really unique um, when it comes to the, you know, especially consumer electronics. So I tried to find other technologies, um, uh, then engineering. So for me, I try to like cover civil engineering or, or, you know, any, any big public works projects around the world. Um, so I try to find those, those science and technology and engineering news that, that don't get covered well and things that I, I, I think personally 
may not have an impact in our lives today, but um, will change how we, you know, how we're living in five, 10, 20 years. And then there, every now and there's the, the quirky stuff. Right. So, so, so can you give me an example of uh, a, a recent news story that you thought was important and maybe one that you thought was quirky? So one technology related news that I thought, because when I, t- well, sometimes I talk with people, um, about especially electro electronics engineers on the Arduino and, you know, some, some of the, um, more, um, how do I put it gently? Um, the, the, uh, the, not curmudgeons, but, um, Ludites. guys that have been doing it the way, you know, they're, they're set in their ways. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, bring up the, the, the Arduino and how cool, man, there's cool projects. This is, you know, but they say, oh, that's just a, that's a toy. That's an education thing. It's not how we do things in the real world. Um, but then there was an article, um, about, uh, Durex, the makers of, of um, uh, preventative, uh, yeah, family, family prevention, family, <laughs> <whatever>. <laughs> um, yeah, you got it. That's the word I was looking for. Um, they also, they had, they made, uh, um, couples, his and her underwear, um, which as someone who was in the Navy and spent many times apart from my wife, you know, you're kind of sympathetic to, but they talked about that the, when they were doing through their original prototypes, they'd use an Arduino Omega as the development board for, you know, doing their research, you know, the research into what would become a major consumer product. Um, so for me, that was interesting. It showed that, you know, maybe that doesn't make it quite kid friendly, but, um, it showed to me that, you know, there are uses for, um, the Arduino, um, and that it's not, it's in the last five, seven years that's been around, or I think, I think they just said 10 years, um, has really come from, yeah, it was started off as a, as a, as a college school project, but it really has become something, um, at least for prototyping, um, you know, people are using. And so that was one. The other, so that's more, the engineer, I'm trying to think if there's a real one that was way out there. It was a math, a math one. And again, I said I'm not the greatest guy at math, and I'll, I'll share the link with you guys. But it was talked about that this guy, this mathematicians proved that if you go 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus all the way out to infinity, it equals negative 1 twelfth. Oh, is that number file? Yeah. Yes, I love that video. I love it was that just, channel. It, <laughs> I thought, I thought, like, I don't understand this, but when he, what, maybe I was just, I don't know, but when he explained it, when the, it was a YouTube video, you know, they went through these series of, you know, uh, you know, proofs, you know, like, if A, then B, then B. So they show these three different, um, um, calculations that, yeah, I was like, oh my God, they're right. This does add up to negative one twelfth. How does that work? And that's just, you know, that will never get on CNN's, you know, cause it, it doesn't, there, there's no pop culture to that. Right. <laughs> there's no. <laughs> There's, but to me, it was quirky. It was interesting. Um, and so, uh, as best I could, as best I could, I tried to, um, to cover that, not being a mathemat, a theoretical mathematician. <laughs> yeah, that's a great YouTube channel for anyone who hasn't, uh, checked that out. Number file. Oh, so you've, li- you've heard that before, Carmen? Oh, I, I'm subscribed. I watch just about everything they put out. <laughs> okay. Um, it's, it's fantastic. And I, I already put a link in our, uh, show notes here to the video that Mike referenced. Oh, terrific. Yeah. 
It's it's cool. Definitely check out uh, the ones about pebbling a chessboard and the ones on the Enigma machine that the Germans used in World War II. More stuff I have to listen to? Yes. They're, they're only like seven, eight-minute videos. It's not too bad. Yeah, they, they talk about everything. The the mathematics behind Connect 4 and calculators and just you, you name it, and they'll, they'll talk about it. So, Mike, can you tell us a little bit about this book that you're writing? Uh, sure. So, um, tentatively titled uh, Don't Let the Bits Bite. Um, <laughs> with with the proper spelling of bite, of course, of course. Um, so it's it's kind of like a compilation of you know I've been you know in this world of technology and engineering for about sixteen years, and I don't you know still don't claim to be an expert, but you know there's a lot of you know anecdotal stories that I you know as I I sit in design reviews or I you know I'm working with customers, and there's just these lots of lessons learned when it comes to doing technology and engineering products that. You know, I've kind of, I've made a note of and so things like, you know, the importance of doing like mock-ups early in the design to help flesh out a customer's requirements or, you know, because what they say in words versus what they really want, um, I find different. So it's, it's a kind of like, um, a collection of stories, anecdotes, um, for technical, uh, people that are leading technical teams. Um, and I kind of, distill it down into four different categories or four different um, kind of ways you have to think, you know, in my, in my opinion, in my experience. So there's the, um, you know, the stories about the geek, the person that is the, the tech savvy that has a passion about a topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the, the entrepreneur part of it, which is, you know, not just entrepreneurial in the sense of starting your own business and whatnot, but it's, it's that person that, or part of the, uh, of, of the same person, but that thinks differently, that thinks outside the box, that looks for creative solutions, that looks to connect the dots, um, across different, uh, bounds, you know, crossing different disciplines to come up with solutions or, uh, to problems that, you know, people haven't been tackling or have been tackling that in ways that, um, you know, they're, 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 they, they can see a better way of doing, of doing something. Then the third part is the idea of, of the teacher. So once you've kind of mastered, you know, you have a passion, a technology skill, a hard, you know, set of hard skills as the geek, and you've, you've learned to kind of build business around that. Then you, you bring in the, the idea of giving, like kind of giving back teaching. So, the teacher is kind of like the the uh, concept of giving back, as well as, um, for me at least, you know, when I when I teach a class, it kind of reinforces, and I actually learn more in the process. So it's kind of you know it's a benefit to the people taking a course. And I do things like, um, you know, I've taught merit badges for scouts, and I'm uh, we're starting to do a lot of. Um, teaching courses at our local makerspace. So, you know, if a guy's got a skill in woodworking or skills in welding or electronics, um, you know, none of us are really, you know, necessarily experts in anything, but when we take the time to, you know, something that we have learned a little bit more than others, giving that back in teaching, uh, yeah, everyone benefits taking the class, but I think you as the teacher benefit as well. And then, mm-hmm. um, and then you culminate all that, like the, the pinnacle is to be kind of like a, you know, the leader, a thought leader, um, a vision in a visionary in that, you know, combination of, of being able to take, um, 
your industry or your your passion and you become someone who uh, influences it and, and shapes it and moves it and whatever that is you know if your passion's electronics or if it's computers or photography or, or whatever your passion is i um you know leading is kind of like when now you you're seen as someone that people can trust to give good advice um unbiased advice and so those kind of those four characteristics those four types of of skill sets i think make someone who's a, a good technology uh leader and um my book is to help help shape people if you know if you're if you're interested in technology and engineering but if you're also more interested in in leading kind of projects you know what kind of skill sets and what kind of experiences um have i found and it's it's not just you know stories of of what i've uh, what i've dealt with but also people that i've worked with you know uh mentors and, and i've collected their thoughts and i hope to be able to share those in a way that's you know it's you know not you know because technology engineering can be a you know um can be boring a subject i've read some really good books i've read some not so ones like biographies on certain um you know isaacs one i like is the isaacs and uh biography on, on einstein i thought was really well done um, but just mm-hmm. being able to to share some experiences and then kind of um you know take out of each of those stories a tip. So, you know, one story about, you know, having gone through uh, someone who led a really excellent design charrette for a building and how they went about doing it and the steps they went and the way they organized the meeting. You know, I, I collected notes about that. And that's one of the, the stories in the chapters um, in the leadership section. So the book, that's, that's the hope is to put something out there that people can, um, benefit from if, if you're looking to uh, not just do technology as a, as a passion, but also if you actually want to do really do serious projects and, and lead certain projects. You outline that as four facets of an innovative person. Do you think that each of these facets are innate or do we have to develop them? And if we're stronger in one, can we really learn to strengthen our abilities in the other areas? Uh, personally, I, th- I think that People are born, you know, with certain characteristics or traits that will, uh, you know, are indicators that they could be a potentially a good leader, a good engineer. But it's not a guarantee. I think um, just because you have the possibility or the potentiality for it doesn't mean that it's a guarantee. You still have to work. So I, I think that anybody, to me, it comes down to passion. You have to really if you really want to do something bad enough, I think you can compensate because we're all, I mean, right. None of us are, are, are perfect. We all have, um, strengths and weaknesses and we have to, to compensate for those and, 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 and strengthen, um, uh, you know, w- what we're good at, we, we use to compensate for weaknesses. And, you know, for some of us, you know, some of us are, are good at thinking the big picture kind of stuff. And some people are, are detail oriented. Frankly, I think you need both types of people on a project. To, to really be successful. And then as a leader, you've got to kind to, um, to balance that. So I, I personally think that our cert, some people have, have potential traits, especially when it comes to those soft skill stuff, you mm-hmm. know, international. Sure. Absolutely. That some people are stronger, um, than others. But I think with things like, uh, you know, mentoring with getting involved in, um, clubs outside of, of the professional, that's why I really, I'm a big 
pusher and believer in the in the maker movement and you know maker spaces that are popping up because you can you, that's how you build you know not just the technical skills but the social skills and uh so yeah yeah i think that you you can again if you if you're passionate enough about a topic you can compensate for for any weaknesses and and of course if you have strength that's it's to your benefit interesting and and so this this book is it you described some, you know, some of these uh, these aspects. Are you just des- are you describing the aspects? Are you describing how to obtain to improve your abilities in these areas? Uh, is it more biography? Is it more instructional? Yeah, good point. So the way I've got it, kind of e- each chapter opens up with um, the the anecdote. You know, here's the meeting. It's kind of um, a biographical, you know, the, the, a recounting of of the event. But then it closes out the chapter. Each chapter closes out with kind of like an analysis. So we 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 go in and we do a post mortem on that event, and then we analyze you know what what went what well, what didn't go well, and you know what. And then I try to draw out um, a specific um, like a, a tip at the end. So it's kind of like um, rules of thumbs kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So each chapter is built around uh, built along a rule of thumb. It's meant to be something that's, you know, not necessarily, it's not heavy reading. It's supposed to be kind of fun, whimsical, but also at the end, the, you know, the summary of each chapter and then of each story and then each chapter, um, builds up. So the stories are grouped by those four characteristic traits. And then back to your earlier point, I think, you know, everyone, I think everyone has those four different traits in them. It's not about, um, you know, have, obviously people are stronger in, in certain areas than others and, you, when you're doing really complex projects, you're going to have a lot of people. But the, you know, so the stories are there are meant to be. You know, what what can you though? What are things that you can do, or which you know, again, in personal opinion, uh, what are what are ways of of handling projects, managing projects that have proven successful for me, and and then a little explanation as to why and and how to think about it. You, I mean, given the back, the number of experiences you've had uh, <laughs> based on the projects you were describing earlier, I, I'm kind of anxious to, to hear what these stories are. For better and for worse, I've had a, you know, diverse experiences. So kind of one of those things where you become the, you know, the jack of all, master of none, which <laughs> has its pros and cons. Um, especially when, you know, in certain things, certain aspects, um, with promotion and when you, you know, some, some jobs, it's, you know, it's a very narrow career focus in terms of one specific skill. So, you know, electronic, you know, if you're, you're at least in certain organizations I've worked with, it's, it's very uh, stovepipe. So if you really want to get ahead, you really need to, you know, have a lot of experience uh, in, in that specific trade and, and have multiple projects. But I think there's other jobs um, and that's the beauty I think that you can find and be successful in both. And so my stories kind of are though are across. There's there's projects about um, you know s- the civil engineering, the public works kind of of projects I ran into, some of the um, uh, you know some of the information we built some information the you know glorified databases we call them our IT you know information systems tools. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, I've, you know, kind of like the technical lead and architect, architect on that. And just, you know, and so there, there are, there are these kind of like, um, uh, peculiarities of, of different types of disciplines that, you know, cert- certain disciplines, um, 
technical disciplines I find are more cavalier and, and others are more um, conservative, especially, you know, anything that deals with life and safety, those type of career fields, you know, uh, structural engineers tend to be more uh, conservative and rightly so. Um, and then you've got, you know, the software crowd where it's a little bit more of like the wild west sometimes. <laughs> right. So, uh, how far along in the writing process are you? Do you have a, a date in mind where you'd like to publish or? <laughs> uh, that's, that's a great question. I, and I, I wish I had an answer on the date cause no, I don't have one. Um, I, I say that I, I've done my first, I made it through my, my, I guess we call my, my first draft. So I've got the, um, Chapters all laid out. I've got the the tips and the hits that I want to hit on, but now it's kind of going back and making sure the flow. It kind of I want to have a flow to it, mm-hmm. and just trying to strike that right flow. So, you know, and obviously I'm not. I don't know. Um, I'm I'm learning this whole world. So I mean, I'm probably going to do something like a self published through Kindle and Amazon and e uh, you know ebook kind of things to start with. But I'm, I'm hoping. Um, you know, if I, maybe I can, you know, take some vacation time this summer, uh, when it's not so freezing, sit outside and, uh, <laughs> finish it up. I would hope to have it, um, you know, quote unquote on shelves or, or online by the, by the end of this year. Nice. Well, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, we're always looking for new books to, uh, you know, mention on the podcast. So if you're doing a book tour, you can, you can do a virtual stop here. <laughs> I will. Uh, I will make sure to. Uh, we'll, I'll send you guys a copy. Oh, well, e e copy. Be terrific. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so, are you going to go? You said uh, the self-publishing route on Kindle and Amazon. Um, are you just going to go that route no matter what? Or are you going to at least try and shop it around, or don't really care too much? You know, for me, it's. Um, I've got no illusions of, of being the next great American novelist. So, for me, it's mm-hmm. more important to get the the message out than it is to see the book in a hard copy and, you know, hardbound. So yeah, I think regardless, I'll, I'll go the e-publishing route just because, mm-hmm. um, and, and it, you know, frankly, I don't want to make my taxes much more complicated. <laughs> True. There's, there's something so, to be said for that. Yeah. <laughs> you should get at least one nice leather bound copy for your bookshelf. Well, yeah. And that's, you know, there are those, I forgot the name of, there are some services where you can kind of print on demand. So, Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take a look at that way too. Yeah. yeah, I think some of the teachers at school used to do that if they had their own book or something, and it wasn't uh, wasn't published by one of the big guys, right? <laughs> yeah, Mike, I wanted to ask you. So, when you were started to talk about the book, you were talking about the lesson of early prototyping, and before we went away from that, I just wanted to ask you. So, what lessons have you learned about uh, the need for early prototyping? Because you said that what people say they want is not what they actually respond to. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so one specific, you know, I'll touch on this, um, project I'm actually currently working on. So we, as you know, we've got about at, at, at Patuxent river, we've got about 16,000 engineers, scientists, business logisticians, um, to support, you know, naval aviation. And we've also got sites all around the country that do different parts of that, of our, of our, our career. So we've got people up in New Jersey that take care of certain equipment and people in Orlando that do training systems and the people out in China Lake in, in California that um, do testing and live fire testing. So we've got all these different people and they're geographically dis- dispersed and they've got different missions. And um, 
But at the same time, where I sit at, we have to, um, you know, we care and manage inf- of the infrastructure. We have a struggle with figuring out because where our teams are so dynamic, you know, they're, they're standing up and, and, and standing down all the time. So managing space is a, is a big problem. Mm-hmm. And, um, we have a lot, we've had historically a lot of manual processes, you know, paper forms to move someone's computer or telephone. And so when we sit down to, we'd say, you know, we're, there's got to be a better way, right? So let's automate this, this process. Well, the, the, the gut feel is, well, just take what we do in the analog world and in the, uh, paper document world and the emailing back and forth and just automate that. And what you realize is that that's not really what people want. Because as, as you go through the process, you realize that, you know, if I do this as an online form, I can get certain efficiencies you know, I don't have to repeat the same data, right? Uh, you know, type it in five times. I can do it just once. So, so when you start, you know, everyone, you, you kind of rely on what you know, mm-hmm. um, because it's the way it's always been done. And as you go through the process of designing, you know, an automated tool, you, you kind of, you can figure out ways to do that process smarter, better, faster, cheaper. And so just starting with what, if you go with what you just know and you automate the process as it is, if it's an analog, you know, way of doing business, um, we found, and we've done this in a couple other areas of our, our business that we always end up with a tool that's, and a process that's different than what we started with. And so taking that forward, you know, that was kind of like a lessons learned. The first time we would always go, you, we just, you know, take, I mean, give me all the photocopies of, of your forms. I'll put them online. We're done. So now what we do when we do these projects, we sweep, we gather all the forms, we figure out, you know, all the data fields that need to be collected. But then we start with, with like, we really, I mean, it's as simple as we take screenshots and we sit there with, with, Microsoft Paint, and we just draw out and mock up what's a new data entry screen going to look like. Um, and we do that work, you know, upfront, and it saves so much time on the back end because otherwise you're sitting there and you have, you know, one design review, and then everyone goes, nah, it's not quite what I wanted. I wanted this here, that there. Um, and that just eats time because by the time you've hired a programmer, you know, now you're, you're wasting time in these, all these redos. Whereas if you do a little bit of homework up front, um, we found that you save a lot more time and, and a lot more money um, doing those early mock-ups and prototypes. So we, we try to do that now in everything we do. That's right. just one example, yeah. Did I hear you right? Use MS Paint for the mock-ups? My very first, so <laughs> my very first one, yeah, I was I got so frustrated because we kept going back and forth. I literally, because unfortunately with being a, a Department of Defense, I literally just got refreshed from Windows XP to Windows 7 about a month ago. So you too? Yeah. So <laughs> I'm making the jump from XP to 8 in about a month, so oh, that'll be sweet. fun. Well, good. Oh. It feels like good that I'm not the only one then. <laughs> I felt I was like, you know, god, this is frustrating. So it's good. That's good to know that uh, the, the Department of the Navy is not the only one suffering uh, with <laughs> old technology. So yeah, I mean, so literally, it, can't, it was a reason. It's like it was it was the tool I was provided. It was the tool I had to use, and so yeah, it was it was painful, but you know, no real no really other options. Yeah, use what you have to. 
Exactly. And if we had any graphic designers listening to this show, we don't anymore. <laughs> I apologize. It's, it's my fault, not there. Not, not but guys. every episode, we seem to shrink our audience even more. No. We, we do. We upset somebody. <laughs> no, I would love to have been able to hire a graphics designer to help me. It was just a, yeah, again, matter of budget and, and what tools I had. So, yeah, I, I would have loved to have had one. Mm-hmm. No fancy font package, so you had to use Comic Sans too. Comic Sans, it was beautiful. Uh huh. <laughs> it, <was, laughs> it was beautiful if you didn't look at it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, being in that southern tip of Maryland, I know you've talked about you know the importance of the maker movement and uh, the benefit of maker fairs and everything. Is there a big scene down there, or do you have to kind of go into D.C. or Virginia to get that? Uh, up until about October, November of last year, you would have had to go on up to DC. We, we literally just launched the first, uh, Southern Maryland, which is a tri-county area. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, uh, it's called PAX space. Uh, PAX is short for Patuxent river. Gotcha. And, um, yeah, it's, so there's, it's, it's, it's you know, only now about two, three months old. And we were able to, because there is such a, a, um, you know, there's a, there is a, an industry out in town around the base that does, you know, rapid prototyping fabrication for the, the, the military aircraft. So we were able to leverage some of those businesses and some of their spaces. And we found, um, one group that was able to offer us some space. Um, so there's about, it's about, I guess, 3000 square feet. That's, um, about a third of it is woodworking and metalworking tools. A third of it's electronics workbenches, some soldering irons, some oscilloscopes, some power supplies. And then the back third is a, is a classroom. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, we've had, there's a couple people we've got, um, we're working on a, a, a CNC router made from a home brewed one. A, um, just finished up a, a Castle Clear 3D printer. And then there's a bunch of classes that are starting up. And um, some competitions that uh, we have one coming up in, I think April. There's the Northern Virginia Maker Fair, the official you know Maker Fair uh, mm-hmm. group, and I think there's a trebuchet competition that we're going to try to enter for that. So yeah, it's it's fairly new. There, it's about thirty forty members right now, but still growing. And um, yeah, it, it's it's I I like I said if if you don't have one if you can find a bunch of buddies in your area to start one um it's it's tremendous just the the you know, cuz we said earlier you know no one is is a master of any of everything and the the just the cross pollinating with different people with different experiences we've got you know good en- we've got some really good engineers we've got some technicians we've got some you know uh, metal machinists in the group so that just you know that kind of conversation and then those different experiences has been um a great learning experience. Nice. Cool. Sounds like the scene's really taken off. Yep. And about how long did it take you to recruit the 30 or 40 members? Is this a, is this a six month effort? Has it been six years? Uh, no. So, uh, so there's, there's four founding, uh, four or five founding members. They literally were, they all, it was great because they all work, um, together at our, our, uh, man flight simulator group. So literally, you know, sitting around the coffee at the water cooler at work, they're like, "Hey, man, it'd be really great to have a a uh, makerspace." And that was like October, and then literally by I think it was like November, they had a space rented out, and um, wow, and Ooh. and and we're starting to uh, 
put in equipment and whatnot. I unfortunately I didn't find out about it until about about a month or so. I joined in I think in December of last year. So, uh, but yeah, so for them, it was a quick, quick turnaround. <laughs> yeah. You were a late comer to the party two months late. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So Mike, uh, since you're interested in, in, uh, the maker space and the, in the movement, I know you're, uh, concerned about, uh, giving back to those who are interested in engineering, sort of giving them a leg up on, uh, learning the tricks and the trades of engineering. You've done some videos about your engineering skills. I have, I have indeed. Done a, a couple of, of YouTube videos um, where I've talked a um, couple different. Cause I, I, right now, I have a I have a brother-in-law who's a sophomore uh, at my alma mater, uh, UMBC, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so talking with him and, and the experiences he's going through, because um, you know he was he was in like an all he well he's still an all star with uh, high school. I think he's like never gotten a B in anything <laughs> wow. since like first grade, which blows my mind. Right. Um, so, but, you know, still that he, he's, so he's also very musically inclined and very math inclined and, um, but still, you know, it's this, you know, what kind of career field do I want to go into? And that kind of gave me, um, you know, some thought about, you know, when, looking back at, you know, 20, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I was in his shoes and thinking, um, you know, cause I, you know, I, I, um, I said I had my scouting kind of merit badge experience and then I had my Naval Academy internship. So I kind of knew – so I guess I kind of – kind of, to me, I, I learned it through those experiences, what engineering was, what was science. So um, – but then I realized, you know, yeah, not everyone does have that. So how can I start, um, you know, if you don't have access, you know, to, to these resources, um, you know, kids, like I said, everyone goes to YouTube to research and find things – um, so I started making these series of videos and I start off with things like, you know, what's the difference between, cause you know, he wasn't where he was, do I go compute, do I go computer science? Do I go engineering? Um, so we, we started with a series of videos like, what's the difference between the applied sciences and the pure sciences? You know, if you're, do mm-hmm. you want to be a, a, a physics major, a math major, a chemistry major versus, you know, it, the the computer engineering, computer science, mechanical, electrical, civil engineering. So what? Because there are two different worlds. I mean, they, they all rely on, on math and their scientific principle, but there is some difference. Um, you know, in at least in my experience, in that. Um, and then you know nothing. Nothing. There's no clean cut in any of this. But just to explain to people, you know, the difference in the you know the the more research oriented part of of the pure sciences versus, you know, the, the applied making a product, you know, working to, to customer requirements and, and building something practical and more on the engineering and, and can, you know, computer programming side. So coming out of that, you know, he, he kind of realized that he, for him making something tangible, wasn't as exciting as the more intellectual pursuit. So right now he's, he's decided as, as to be a math major. So, um, but having that conversation of, you know, you know, are you want to be, do you want to be someone that's more theoretical? Do you want to be more research or do you want to be more hands on applied? Um, that was my first video. And then from there, we ventured out into things like, um, the different types of engineering disciplines and then, you know, all the subspecialties and, and the, you know, the value of doing things like internships to, you know, because, you know, yes, you have a degree in, you know, 
civil engineering, mechanical engineering, but there's such a, you know, the reality is the real world is there's so many different variations on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you got to kind of figure out a way to figure out, you know, what kind of niche do you want to do? And then we talked about things like, um, differences in then we did another, I did another video on the difference, uh, in the computer world. So there's, you know, as me as being a computer engineering major, um, who hasn't done really computer engineering as a profession yet, but, um, besides, <laughs> besides the points, there's still time. There's still time. Uh, but you know, there's computer engineering, there's computer science, and then there's programming. And we, you know, kind of, you know, it was my view of the world and what the difference is, but, um, just to give people an understanding and a place to start, you know, thinking, you know, cause it went especially geared towards people in high school, um, maybe a couple of years out of high school thinking about, you know, going to college or even people that have been in the workforce or thinking about going back to school just to start that con- as, a, as a way for them to get some, uh, advice on, uh, from someone who's, you know, been there, done that. And, um, you know, gets, uh, and I encourage you, you know, don't just take my word for it. Like I forgot the old television show. Oh, was it LeVar Burton? Uh, Rainbow Reen, don't take my word for it or something. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's I right. Think so. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it just, it's, it's one voice that I, I encourage people to go out there and get different ex- points of view, but it's just a way for me to, you know, take the experience that I was l- lucky and fortunate enough to gain, um, and, and share that with everyone else. And the, the videos make it a uh, quick and easy way to do that. Oh, nice. And, and, and the, the, uh, explanation of the different engineering disciplines, uh, that's sometimes kind of hard information to come across. Yeah. I obviously, you know, I probably didn't do it the credit it's due, but, um, you know, one thing I did, even with my experience going into college, what I didn't have an appreciation for was just, you know, the reality of, of the workforce or the, you know, potential work is, you know, you know, I always, you know, if you were a civil engineer, you were building bridge roads. And if you were built, if you were a civil or structural engineer, you're the bridges and the, and the building guy. If you're a mechanical, you're doing the HVAC systems. And I, you know, it was in college where I realized, like, no, well, you know, my mechanical engineering friends, one was doing the, the material science route and the other was doing the mechatronics route. So, you know, having, you know, that was an eye opener to me too, is that, you know, you're not just, there isn't, you know, the, yes, there's this degree in it, but it's meant to be the entry level. The bachelor's is that entry level into the bigger world. And then from there you can go out and specialize. So, um, you know, I it was going back to with my, my brother-in-law's, you know, don't, ha- you know, he had, again, he had the preconceived notions as well as certain things and just trying to help people realize that things are not as cookie cutter, black and white. And, uh, you need to really go out there and, um, you know, I, I like in, internships, I think are, are, are a big deal. And I think they're going to become more important, you know, as, as our, as our shifting economics and, and workforce and whatnot. But you know, use those opportunities to take different, you know, do, if you're, if you know you're going to be a, a civil engineer or a mechanical engineer or electrical, um, try to do three different career, you know, between your, your, your freshman, your sophomore and junior year, try to go into three different industries that use those skills so you can get a kind of taste, um, before you really commit to your first job, um, and, and see what it's all about. You know, being a power engineer versus an electronics engineer, it's different, um, and if, you know, as an undergrad, if you haven't been exposed to that before, um, go out there and, and seize any opportunity to help you fill in those blanks of your knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're big proponents of internships on the show here normally and Good. getting out there and 
getting your hands dirty and seeing what it's like in the real world. Absolutely, because it it is so different than, um, yeah, the the, and you know, we're I think we're getting better at that. I think the university level we're getting better at that. Um, still, I think we got some work at the you know the high school, middle school, in, at least in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's um yeah, you're absolutely right. Internships are are huge. I wish I had done more in my college years, but um such is life. <laughs> <laughs> you managed to get quite a, get around quite a bit once you graduated, so Yeah, yeah. Not to put a damper on our conversation here, but I see we're running quite over our normal hour mark. Um time to When when is when is the last time we actually went one hour? Oh, that's a good point. You know what? Next episode we're going exactly an hour. Cutting the audio off at fifty nine, fifty nine, and that's it. Wherever we are, that's it. Huh? Yes. Play the play the parting music. Close curtains. <laughs> uh, but before we go, do you have any advice for our listeners? Uh, anything you want to relate uh, to them or relate to them? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, you know, real quick, I think um, don't be afraid to take your skills and and find a niche. You don't always have to stay. Um, in the vertical career field, you can, you can branch out and take your skills. Um, I think that for me has worked out pretty well. Join your local maker space and then give back. Um, you know, if, is, is you, you know, everyone, everyone can be a leader. Everyone can be a mentor. So, uh, reach out to people that are behind you and, um, and, and just, you know, help, help build this, the steam movement because I think it really is going to be valuable for our, um, for our future. Um, both our, our defense and, and our economic interests. So, um, you know, get involved. Great advice. Sounds good. And if our listeners want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to uh, get some more information? Uh, sure. So, um, I'm on Twitter. So it's twitter.com or at MB Parks. That's M for Mike, B for Brian, uh, at, at MB Parks. Um, or, uh, google.com. Um, slash, or, uh, yeah, slash plus Mike Parks PE on the, um, on the Google Plus network. So, uh, those are the two. And then from there, you can links to everything else. All right. We'll make sure to throw those in our show notes. So anyone who wants to get a hold of you can feel free to do that. Absolutely. I appreciate it, guys. This is awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. This is great having you on. I'm sure we could have gone for at least another hour. Absolutely. I'm sure we could have. Thank you so much, Mike, for uh, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, guys. Take care. All right. Take care, Mike. Good night. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education, located on the web at bigbeacon.org. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our theme music is by Paul Stevenson. 